0: Have you ever found that sometimes God works on a plan that you know little about? He works on his own timetable, puts his own plan together, and you are rarely invited into the background, into the back rooms to figure out like what's going on. You ever found that? Doesn't it irritate you to death? Viewers 1470, a teenage boy was hired on a merchant ship. 1470. They were transporting goods from African coasts to Europe. They were attacked by French privateers. Their boat went down, and this young man survived by clinging onto a board until he washed ashore. He decided he was done with that for a while, went back to school in Lisbon, where he studied astronomy, mathematics, and navigation. It was there that he hatched a plan that would change his life and the world forever. At the time, in, 1400s, in the early late 1400s, all trade was going across Europe, to get to Asia. Asia was where the money was at. So everybody was trying to get across to Asia and get the goods back, but a lot of people were dying in the process, so they needed a shorter route for trade. It was too far to go across land. So this young man, because he was in school and thought he knew everything, came up with a plan that instead of going east or going south around the Horn of Africa, why not go west and discover a new way, a new trade route to get to Asia? After all, the world consisted of Europe and Asia and Africa, and that was about it, late 1400s. He went to the Portugal officials, he went to the English officials, and nobody would buy it. They all said he was cuckoo in the cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. So he went to Spain. He sold it to Spain. He went to the King of Spain, who was at the time King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella. And they decided, yes, we're going to do that because there's a lot of pagans in Asia that need to know Jesus. And so they went after it because of the Christian emphasis, and so did he as well. He was a very, very devout Christian. But he also went after it because he would get 10% of the profits, never pay taxes again, and be a nobleman. So that was kind of an incentive as well. And so on August 3rd, 1942, Christopher Columbus sailed across the Atlantic and found the Bahama Islands. On March 14, 1492, uh, ni- uh, 14- 92, yeah, sorry, I put the dates backwards. In March 14, 90, uh, 1443, he left 40 of his men in what is now Haiti, and he traveled back to Spain with little to show for his trip. 1493, sorry. <clears throat> when he returned, all 40 of his men had disappeared. You probably have heard this story. To this day, they don't know what happened to those 40 men. He's discouraged, and he thought, let's push a little further west. He pushed west, found more islands, but he never found gold. Then he found this large plot of land, never found gold. So he decided to bring back the next best thing. He brought back slaves, 500 of them, sent them back to Queen Isabella. When she saw the slaves, she said, what are you doing? We don't want slaves, and she sent them all back. Columbus went back one more time. When he got back, he found that his, his uh, latest civilization was in disarray. They were all mad. There was no air conditioning. they on these islands. There was no food. And so they had an uprising, and they rose up against Christopher Columbus. They put him in chains and dragged him back to Spain in chains, brought him before the, the court and uh, the queen, and she said that he would be ripped of his title. His boats were taken away. Everything he had was lost. He had no money. He had no life of luxury. Everything fell apart, not a gold doubloon. And that's what he went over to find. But Christopher Columbus's life ignited a thirst for a brand new world that would one day result in the great experiment called the United States of America. I think that's an interesting story. Because while Christopher Columbus went home in chains and died in poverty, his legacy lives on and delivered a brand new world, which he thought was Asia at the time. What we know today was another continent altogether. So here's my questions. Have you ever made plans that just keep getting changed on you? You ever figure it all out? Have a five-year goal only to figure out that your life is going in the complete different direction? That is Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17, God carries on a conversation with Abraham. And you ever have a conversation with somebody and you start talking and they finish your sentence because they think they know what you're going to say? Does that irritate you? And so we're going to the store. No, the restaurant. And then we are going to stop and get some food. No, gas. And then we are going home. No, to another store. You you ever have somebody finish the sentence for you? Maybe you do live with somebody like that. Now, Abraham has a conversation with God and, and keeps interrupting God because he thinks he knows the end of the story. Genesis 17, God says, you will have a family. Abraham says, yeah, I know, through Ishmael. God says, no, 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 no. You're going to have a real child that comes from you and, your, and a mother. You're going to have a real dad and a mother kind of relationship. Oh, yeah, with Hagar. No, 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 no. no. Sarah is going to be the mom. No, she's 90 years old. That can't possibly happen. God says, no, 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 no. Not only will it happen, but you will call him laughter, Isaac, because you're going to be so surprised at how this story unfolds. It's like Abraham reveals to God what the story should be like, and God says, no, that's not how it's going to happen. It's going to be completely different. Every turn you take, or every turn you think you're going to take, I'm going to have you take an opposite turn. Doesn't this remind you? of every time you try and figure out what God is doing in your life. I want you to know that drives type A personalities crazy. The difference in how people react to how God moves in their lives reveals the maturity level that they have, the relationship level that they have with God. Those who don't follow God continue to try and make it happen on their own. Those who don't follow the Lord and don't trust Him for their future, try and figure it out on their own. That's why you have horoscopes and palm readers and everybody to tell you the future. Every fortune cookie, although the ones today aren't nearly as good as they used to be, didn't you think? Like the fortune cookies today are like, you look nice. You know, they don't tell your future anymore. Anybody that wants to know their future apart from God is trying to do it on their own. The difference between those who follow the Lord and those who don't is, those who follow the Lord, God turn the pages. And they let God make the calls. And they're constantly surprised at how God shows up in their life. For this change to occur, Abraham and, Sarah, Abram and Sarai would need to have a major change that happens to them. And that's what Genesis 17 is all about. And so the first thing I want to say to you and the first thing that God keeps saying to me is that God's plans are always better. Every little minute detail of God's plan is always better. Let's start reading. When, Abraham was, uh, when Abram was 99 years old. How old is Abram, church? Anybody 99 here? <laughs> yeah. In chapter 16, Abram is 86. In chapter 17, Abram is 99. How many years difference is that? Abram is waiting for God to answer prayers. And he keeps waiting. And the transition from Genesis 16 to Genesis 17 is 13 to 14 years. And he's still waiting. Apparently, Abram just didn't wait long enough. It had been over 20 years since he left Ur of the Chaldees. That's a long time to wait for God to come through, right? Here's the rest of the verse. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. The word here is El Shaddai. Uh, We translate it as God Almighty. It literally means God of the mountains or God who can move mountains. God checks up on Abraham, and he says to him, Abraham, are you still a believer that I will perform what I've promised? Are you still walking before me blameless? Are you, still, are you and I still on the same page? And Abram was hopefully, hopefully, still hanging on to the promise of God, even 30, 20, 30 years after the promise was first made. Then Yahweh does an amazing thing. Here's what he says in verse 2. That I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. All right, a lot of the same kind of language. A repetitive promise that that Abram has heard before and he's clinging on to. All right, I'm going to be the father of nations. But now I'm 99. Where are the nations going to start? You've got to start somewhere, and there's no kid coming, and I'm 99. And by the way, my wife is 90. She's dried up. There's no way she's going to have a baby. And Yahweh does an amazing thing. Gives them an undeserved honor. He gives them a new identity. Verse 5. God says, no longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be called what, church? Abraham. Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. Now, when I married Beth, we had to do all those name changes. Do you remember doing all those name changes? She had to change her driver's license. She had to change her social security. All those changes that took place. And we had to get the car in both of our names, and the house in both of our names, and bank accounts in both of our names. you remember all those changes? And then Beth Hoskins became known as Beth Jarvis. A new identity. We would start fresh together as a brand new family god does the same thing with us god does everything possible to remind us that when we start a relationship with him we have a brand new identity we have that identity because we belong to him and we are sealed with the holy spirit that means we have him as our owner and we belong to him we are sealed with the holy spirit We are no longer in charge of our own lives. This is where it hurts, okay? We are no longer in charge of our own lives. God is in charge of our lives. And like Abraham, our goal is no longer to plot the course so that we can achieve our goals for our lives so that we can reach our five-year goal. Our goal is to plot God's course for our lives and let him maneuver us wherever he wants to. That's what it means to walk before him blameless. The question is not, is God your co-pilot? The question is, God your pilot? You don't get any say in what God tells you to do. And that's the big difference between those who follow the Lord and those who don't. We are now children of God. His spirit bears witness with our spirit. And the way we know that's true is, do you let God control your life? God loves to change identity this way. It's our reminder that things are not the same as they used to be. He changed Paul, uh, Saul to Paul. Paul. He changed Peter to, or Cephas to Peter. Peter thank you. He changed Abram to Abraham. Abraham and he's going to change Sarai to Sarah. It's, and he changed you. He may not have changed your name, but he changes your identity. You no longer belong to yourself. You now belong to the one who loves you and who owns you. Abraham's new name means father of multitudes. Abram means exalted father. Well, which is a joke anyway, because he didn't have any kids. So he's an exalted father when he finally got to be old enough to be recognized as maybe an elder among the people, but he had no kids. So his own name was a joke his whole life. So God makes it more into a joke. He says, okay, your name's going to be Abraham, which means father of multitudes. Can you imagine the camp that he hung out with? You know, every time they go to him, they say, hey, Abraham, <coughs> I just have a question for you. Because you're literally saying, hey, father of a multitude who doesn't have any kids right now. God makes his name even bigger. And it's interesting that he says, I, uh, not that I will make of you a nation, but he says, uh, I have made you a father of a multitude of nations. Then in verse 15, he changes Sarai's name. Then God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. Now, this is interesting because Sarai, in the dialect of the Mesopotamian East, that's Sarah, but it's Mesopotamian. It's, it's, a, it's not its own thing, it's from another culture. Sarah means princess, which is also what Sarai means, but it's princess, but it's a different dialect. It's the dialect of Canaan. And where do they now live? canaan so in a very real way god says to abraham call your wife sarah because this land is yours you are no longer the person of the east now this is your new your new identity you are a person of this land it belongs to you here's what he says to sarah i will bless her Verse 16, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. This would be an enormous amount of shame that Sarah has carried her whole life. The only way that a woman has any, any depth to her at all is that she would bear children. And Sarah was, was barren. She didn't have any children her whole life. She never had children. And so in the camp, in Abraham's camp, can you imagine? Abraham starts spreading the news. Hey, God said that we're going to have kids. Oh, really? Yeah, I swear to you. And Sarah goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. God said we're going to have kids. We're going to have kids. And that went on for five years and 10 years and 15 years and 20 years. And it goes on. And eventually, you know, bets were made and bets were lost. And it just became a joke after a while because these guys are getting older. They're not getting younger. And there's no way they're going to have kids Finally, Abraham, Sarai says to Abraham, listen, this is not going to happen with me. I'm just getting older. Go do the thing with Hagar. Let's get a kid out of this, which was, again, we talked about this totally legal, totally expected, totally welcome uh, kind of action in Abraham's day. So Sarai figured it out. We're going to have a kid and that kid is going to come from Hagar as a surrogate. I am going to be the mom. That kid will belong to me. God said, nope, that's not how it's going to happen. By the way, do you ever think of that? Abraham goes with Sarah, uh, with Hagar. Hagar gets pregnant. Who's at fault, Abraham or Sarah, for not having kids? Now we know, right? It's not Abraham that has the problem of procreation. It's Sarah. You wonder why Sarah got mad at Hagar? Probably because she was really disappointed with God. Hurt people do hurt things to hurt to other people. Hurtful things. So Sarai takes her anger out on God. Kicks Hagar out of the camp. You know the story. We already talked to, about it. But now God comes and clarifies things. And he says, no, no, no. You're going to have a kid, Sarai. You're going to change to Sarah. And you're going to have a kid. And that kid is going to be the father of nations. Uh, or propagate nations through Abraham. So what do you think Abraham did? What was his reaction? Verse 17. Then Abraham didn't just laugh, he fell on his face and laughed. Have you ever laughed so hard you fell over? That's really laughing, don't you think? He fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who's 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, Bear a child. Notice he calls her Sarah. It's interesting. Can you imagine what this news was like to the caravan? Okay, everybody, what I want you to know is my name is, don't call me Abram anymore. I'm not just a father exalted or anything like that. God wants you to call me me Abraham because apparently I just found out after all these years, I'm 99, I am going to have a child. And Sarah you know her as Sarah, would you please call her Sarah, because she's going to be the mother of this child. How do you think people in the camp would would respond? Okay, Abraham has lost it. We're going to call you Abraham, but every time we do, we're going to chuckle as we walk away, because we all know you're insane. Abraham thought he had it figured out. He was not the problem in getting pregnant. Sarai was, and he laughed because he realized, even though he apparently, 13 years earlier, had the ability to father a child, Sarai never would. Not only was she barren, but now she was old and barren. It's also interesting that a few chapters earlier, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Does this sound like Abraham believed God? It doesn't, does it? Here, where God lays out the final details, Abraham's response was he laughed. He thought he had to figure it figured out all the way along. He thought, okay, we're, we'll move to uh, the promised land, and you'll show me where it is, and that's fine. I'll divvy it up with Lot. We'll get rid of Lot so we get along. Uh, you know, he's figured out well, there's a famine in the land. We'll go down to Egypt. I got that figured out. Um, all right so so now we're in the land and there's a war and I got to get into into battle so I can rescue Lot I got that figured out Um, all right so I'm going to be the father of nations but Sarai's it might be Sarai's fault we don't know so I'll try with Hagar and bada bing bada boom there's a child so that's how it's going to happen and God says no And then he says, okay, so that didn't work. Well, how is it going to happen? I have no idea. 13 years pass, and I don't know what's going on. And now God says, okay, now it's time, you and Sarah. And Abraham laughs, and probably we would too. Because Abram is a type A kind of guy that's trying to figure it out step by step. And God says, nope, that's not right. Nope, that's not right. No, that's not right. Here's what I want you to do. But the thing that amazed me is that Abram believed God all the way along. Even though he tried to figure it out, he's still in this car going in the same direction with God. Verse 18, Abram's still trying to figure it out. Abram said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. He thought he had to figure it out. Yes, yes, God, Ishmael is my real child. Fine, we'll work with him. Sarai can't possibly have a child. Sarai will be the mom, the surrogate mom, right? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) But there's a problem with that. See, the promise can't come through Ishmael because Hagar can't be involved. She's a descendant not from um, Seth, she's a descendant from Ham. And the promise has to come through Sarah and Abraham. God knows that, Abraham doesn't. And there's the stick, there's the problem. Because apparently God knows the future, and I don't. And that's what usually ticks us type A personalities off. God knows the details of the life that have to take place for his plan to come to light. And by the way, if they don't, Jesus is never going to arrive. Jesus can't come through Hagar. Jesus has to come through Abraham, Sarah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, line of David, promised king forever, that would never leave the throne, that's Jesus Christ, has to come through the right line. It's written in Galatians 4.22, as it is written, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, and that slave woman's name was? Hagar. Hagar. And the one by a free woman, and that woman's name was? Sarah. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh while the son of the free woman was born through the what church? God works on a different blueprint than we do. He knows things, He's got it figured out. And my biggest problem is letting Him have that leeway. So God deals with our doubts, just like He deals with Abraham. And you'd think that He would kind of get ticked off at Abraham laughing, rolling around on the ground, wouldn't you? No. Look what he says in verse 19. God said, no, 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 no. It's not Ishmael. It's not Hagar. Listen, your wife Sarah shall bear you a son. And you shall call his name Isaac, which is in Hebrew means laughter. Why? Because everybody can't believe God can pull this off. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I've heard you. Behold, I blessed him. I will make him fruitful. I'll multiply him greatly. He shall be the father of 12 princes. I will make a great nation out of him, but I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah, if you didn't hear it the first time, Abraham, shall bear to you at this time next year. You can't outplan God's purposes. Number two, here's An interesting one God's plans might hurt (laughs) verse 9 and God said to Abraham as for you you should keep my covenant you and your offspring and throughout your generations this is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you here it is every male among you shall be circumcised God's plans might hurt (laughs) you like that When God says what to do, he's not saying that it's going to be easy. Sometimes it might be difficult. Sometimes it might be painful. It's also interesting that Abraham doesn't have to be circumcised, doesn't have to have every male circumcised, so that they can be members of the promise, so that they can be a part of the promise. But this was given to Abraham to prove his identity. Did he belong to God or not? Because if he belongs to God, he will follow through with God's plans. If he doesn't, he's still trying to figure it out on his own, right? This is not about God making demands on Abraham to see if he'll hold up his end of the bargain. This is a flashlight being shone on Abraham's heart, saying, do you really give me the leeway to do whatever I want to do? And here's what you have to do to prove it. You've got to get circumcised. Now, how old was Abraham? That's pretty old. This is the proof that Abram goes from unbelieving Abram, unbelieving laughter to unyielding obedience. Proof that Abram was dead and Abraham was standing in his place, and this was going to hurt. What Abram's actions demonstrate, he still believes in God. And this is not only about that, but it's also about God's plan, God's purpose. It's about God carrying through on his promise. In eight verses, God says, I will seven times. That means that God is going to do something, and Abram can go along on the ride, or he can kick against it if he wants. But God does not bless us or Abraham because we obey him. He blesses, We obey him because he mercifully, mercifully blesses us let me say it one more time god does not bless us because we obey him we obey him because he mercifully blesses us and it gets worse verse 11 you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be assigned to the covenant between me and you so everybody who believes the covenant the promise is coming is going to get circumcised So Abraham probably says, am I hearing this right? Do we have to get circumcised, every one of us? God says, yes. And Abraham's probably thinking, how about just the little kids, right? We just do the little kids. No, all of you. Listen to this. He who is eight years old among you shall be circumcised, every male through your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Because he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money surely shall be circumcised. So my covenant shall be with your uh, my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people he has broken my covenant in fact he has proven he doesn't believe god so abram did exactly what god wanted him to do he circumcised himself and everybody in his house Can you imagine <laughs> so what are we doing tonight again abraham <laughs> Come on in, i got a big party for us. All the men in the house, verse 27. Those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. Now that sounds pretty drastic, don't you think? There's a couple of different reasons why God chose circumcision. Circumcision is the proof of this promise. It is the sign of the covenant. Everybody who was circumcised believed God like Abraham. They believe God. It was a physical sign. Signs are connected to the realities they symbolize. So the sign is connected to a part of our body that is involved in procreation because we're talking about Abraham being the father of nations. So it's naturally connected to a reproductive organ. Number two, it's communal. It signifies entrance into the community. Everybody that's circumcised is welcome here because we all believe God the same way. Number three, it is relational. It signifies a relationship between us and Yahweh of complete surrender and obedience. Number four, it is legal. Anyone who was not circumcised demonstrate unbelief and they would be cut out of the camp. And number five, it was spiritual. It signified a deeper need. The New Testament, by the way, it talks about us being circumcised in our hearts. You know what that means? That means that we have given in and given up to Jesus Christ. We have given in and given up to Jesus Christ. And so today it's not the same. It's not the same physical demonstration of a belief of the Abrahamic covenant where everybody has to be circumcised. Today, nowadays, it's circumcision of the heart where we yield complete surrender to God and the Holy Spirit circumcises us so that we belong. We, all of these things apply to us and God. So what? Well, number one, God loves to step into the middle of our lives and surprise us with his updated plans on a regular basis. <laughs> God will never write your future in the sky and doesn't it take you off that he doesn't. Where should I go to college? Choose one. See the doors if they open or shut. Who should I marry? Choose person. See if the door is open or the door is shut. What job should I get? Choose one and see if the door is open or the door is shut. God doesn't write your future in the sky. He expects you to take a step and then another step and then another step in complete faith that he has your future taken care of and obedience that you will indeed demonstrate characteristics you belong to him. God will direct your life's events to show you where you go next. So then, here's where it hurts. How do we view the idiosyncrasies of life? How do you view it when your tire goes flat and you've got a million things to do? How does seeing God in charge like this affect our view of the future? Abraham was trying to fix things the best that he knew how. Fix it by going to Egypt. Wrong. Fix it by doing it with Hagar. Wrong. Fix it by dividing the land with Lot. Wrong, wrong, wrong. Abram was like every other knuckle-dragging human male that has walked on the planet. Their goal is to fix any problem in life. But God said, you can't fix this. Here's how I know. Fix your wife who's 90 years old, been barren her whole life, and now has dried up. Fix that. And Abram said, I can't. And God said, now you get it. You need my help. Stop trying to fix things. Watch me be almighty God. God loves to bring the dead to life. We can't do it, but God does. He does it all the time. In fact, when you were dead in your sins, God brought you to life. If you know Christ as your Savior. Ephesians 2, 4. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were what, church? Dead in our trespasses. Have you ever seen a dead person? Can they do anything? They can't do a thing. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, that's our sin. He made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace that you have been saved. The first thing is God loves to step in the middle of our lives and give us his updated plans on a regular basis. And it ticks me off a lot of times you'll know why in just a minute that is the hardest thing for me, for me as a male to live with because his plans might be completely different from mine number 2 because of this promise through isaac we have hopes a hope of salvation Romans 9, 6, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that not the children of the flesh, it is not the children of the flesh who are children of God, but the children of promise who are counted as offspring. Have you ever heard anybody say, we're all children of God? If you're born of the flesh, you're a child of God. True or false? False. According to this verse, it is not the children of the flesh. Just being born doesn't make you a child of God. You bear his image, but it is broken, fallen, distorted, and cracked. You need to be a child of the promise by accepting Christ as your Savior and being circumcised in your heart so that you have all the legal uh, uh, responsibilities, so that, you, so, that, so that you belong to God, and have all of those things that circumcision demonstrates that we have because we belong to him. God promised that Jesus would come through the direct line of Abraham. That means Sarah has to be involved and so here it is. It is more possible for a 99-year-old woman or a 90-year-old woman to have a baby than it is for God to lie. Say that one more time. It is more possible for a 90-year-old woman to have a baby than it is for God to lie. The greatest promise ever made to us is Jesus Christ. This king, this king of all kings, would come through the line of Isaac. This Jesus would come. He's the promised one of God. And every promise that we have given to us by God is true because the greatest promise, Jesus, was given to us. We are all spiritual descendants of Abraham. And therefore, the promises given to Abraham are also given to us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says it this way, "...for all the promises of God find their yes in him." That's Jesus. That is why through him, Jesus, we utter our amen. That's truly, truly, our truly it shall be to God. It is for his glory. Isaac was important because through him, Jesus would come and we would be saved. Finally, the story of God changes course for Abraham and Sarah. And it is the story of how God keeps his promises to us. Doesn't it frustrate you when God changes your course? Maybe it doesn't. Maybe it only seems like there's a course change. But in God's eyes, there's never a course change. Like, why would I lose my job? I didn't see that coming. No, because you're human. God did. Why do I have this medical condition? I didn't see that coming. No, can't do anything to change it. No, God did. Why is my mom? Why is my dad sick? I I can't do anything to change that. No, God's there. You see, when you operate on that level, it becomes a lot easier to say, not que or let's all hold hands and sing kumbaya and just, just just, not care anymore. Sure, you can care. Sure, it might tick you off. But the bottom line is you always say, God's in control, I'm not. He's the one that's, that's calling the shots, I'm not. I'm no longer Abram, I'm now Abraham, and I'm no longer Craig. I am bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. So I surrender to God, my demonstrations of surrender to God mean that everything that god does i say fine god has a purpose in this and by golly i'm going to figure out what it is god is the pilot he is not the co-pilot and neither are you you're neither one you're in the back seat you're in the trunk you're just along for the ride god knows what he's doing and that's what makes a mature christian a mature christian and i still have a long way to go on this Hold on to what you've planned loosely. Now it's confession time. You want to hear about my life this week? You tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. Monday, I am the spouse of all time. I take my wife on an anniversary date. It's amazing. I give up a day of work. I'm going to take it on the chin, but I'm going to do it because my wife is worth it puts me behind but that's fine my calendar is usually tight but I'll make it up Tuesday Beth calls says my tire's flat I am an hour away from her Uh, okay change your tire have any of you driven a town and country do you know where the spare tire is on a town and country they are crazy. Don't ever buy a town and country. I don't know what this like. This had to be a joke, a, a bet somebody lost, because the tire is underneath the driver's side. Like, it's underneath. So you have to get this special tool out of the back, unscrew it so it falls to the ground, lay on the ground, pull the tire out, unhook it from what's holding it on under there, slide it back under, pull, crank it. So I'm trying to explain this to Beth over the phone. And I'm thinking to myself, no, nope, this isn't working. So I get in the car, drop everything I'm doing, and I go to rescue my wife. Now, luckily, she got to a, a gas station. She tried to put air on the tire. And those stupid little things that tell you when your tire goes flat, what are they called? Your the sensor. The sensor? Yeah, that's another bet somebody lost right there. Why do you need a sensor in your tire? Do you know those things are almost as much as a tire costs? So when she put the, t- the, the nozzle on that thing, it, I, it, wasn't, it wasn't in there right or something. It, she took it off, and the thing goes flying across the parking lot. This is the second time that's happened to me on a town and country. So immediately, all the air goes out of the tire. So she's calling me, and I'm going, okay, so drop what I'm doing. I'll go fix the tire. So I go up. Luckily, a nice fella had already started helping her. We changed the tire, put the spare on, got all lot stuff back. Three hours, and she's back on the road. Fine. All right. So God had something different for me that day. Fine. Wednesdays were meetings all day. I couldn't do anything on Wednesday. Thursday, I'm thinking, Amanda's going to call me and say, where is the outline? She's a slave driver. That Amanda right over there. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want to hold her up. So I'm thinking, okay, Thursday, I'm going to get, the, I'm gonna get the, uh, um, um, the outline done. We're going to get it done. Thursday's more meetings. I'm trying to find some time to study. Didn't get a lot done on Thursday. Thursday had some meetings in the evening. It just didn't work out. Friday arrives. I'm thinking to myself, free day. I can study all day today. And so I feel really good about that. And then I get a call from Hannah. Hannah says, I went to the car and the car is dead. This is another car. My, Yeah, like I need three cars. So this is another one of our cars. Car's dead. I'm going, you have got to be kidding me. I got to get to the outline. So I jump in my car, come down down to help Hannah. In three hours, uh, my little girls, Karis and uh, Rebecca, have a concert that they have to be at. And now we only have one car available that they can use. And I'm in it to drive to go rescue Hannah. So I get down to Hannah. I start looking at this car, thinking to myself, what is wrong with this car? Tried to jump it, sat there. It's not jumping. Tried different cables. I'm I'm pushing it around Starbucks parking lot. Starbucks parking lots are all like this. Have you ever noticed that? And guess where she was? Right here. So I'm pushing this car, trying to get it up. (laughs) Up the, up the hill, I said, Hannah, now, I know you've never been pushed before. Sit in the car, and when I put it in neutral, I'm going to push you, okay? And so she said, okay. So she sat in the car, and I'm pushing this car. I'm thinking to myself, there's no way a Nissan Altima weighs as much as this car does. I'm getting a hernia trying to push this thing up the, up the road. It's not going anywhere. So finally, I, I, I get out, and I, I say, fine, let me, let me just push it myself. So I get in the driver's side, and it pushes easily. She had her foot on the brake the whole time. <laughs> Finally, we get up, and I, I try and jump the car. It's not jumping, it's not jumping, so I have to drive to go find a, a place where I can buy a battery, find the right battery, come back, I try and put the battery in the car. I have no, I, I got a little tool, a little tool to unscrew the little, they're all, th- uh, thread, all, all beat up. They're all, the, what do you call it? Stripped. They're all stripped, they're all stripped. So I get this, I get the vice grips. I go back and get another tool, get the vice grips, so I can pull it and, and turn it like that. The vice grips break, I have to go back to the store and get more tools. And by this time it started to rain and I'm getting really, really ticked off because I'm trying to get up back home so I can get the little girls to their, to, their, uh, to their concert. So I'm soaking, I'm trying to figure this out. I go back and get some more tools, I get wrenches. I get this little deal where you get five different wrenches. I said, for sure, God, for sure. One of those five is gonna fit this doggone thing and it's gonna come off. So I come back, metric, it doesn't fit. None of them, not one of them fits. So I go back to the store, and I get vice grips, like the big ones. You know, I spend 50 bucks on these vice grips, jam it down, or just yank it on this thing. Finally, I get it off, put the new battery in. It turns on, but by now, it's 15 minutes after the concert begins. I speed home. Hannah goes on her way. Speed home. I don't have time. I'm full of grease. I'm soaking wet. I didn't go to the concert. The the kids went by themselves. I feel like a terrible father, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, now I can get to the outline. And you know what I found? That's me. I didn't see anything all week like I should have seen it. I had a bad attitude. I was thinking to myself, God, why are you doing this to me? I'm trying to get this outline done. Everybody at East is going to be mad at me because this message is going to stink, and I'm just going to have to, you know, pull one out Saturday night and And I found out that I'm really a type A personality and I really like to be in control. And when God doesn't let me have control, it doesn't make me feel very good. Now, that's my confession to you. Maybe you're not that way. Maybe you're thinking to yourself, Craig, you've got major issues. You should be able to find a shrink somewhere and have a 20-minute sit-down or something. And you're probably right. Because even when I got in here this morning, all I thought about was all the things that needed to be done so that we could do the service. It is so hard to relinquish control to God. It is so hard to think maybe God has a purpose in this battery going dead. Isn't it? It is so hard to think maybe God has a purpose for this tire being flat. Because that does not fit into my plans. But maybe God does. And maybe the guy that changed my tire, I should have been nicer to and maybe the guys in the parking lot watching, watching me push around a Nissan Altima uphill while my kid was standing on the brake, maybe they needed to see a better testimony of how I treated my child. You know, maybe, maybe I really dropped the ball this week so that you guys could benefit from hearing how I dropped the ball. So maybe it might help you along the way too. If you feel like sometimes your life gets out of control and you don't know why, and you think it's unfair, and it's not fitting into your plans, maybe God has another plan in store. And you know, the worst thing is for somebody to come up to you and say that, right? Well, Craig, do you think you really should be acting like this at a time like this? Shut up! i got it under control. <laughs> and maybe you're sitting there thinking the same thing. Craig, I, I don't think so. I don't think that really applies to me. And maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, I don't get as bad as you do, and maybe that's true. But in reality... God was giving me real-time examples of how I could show you how this happens to us. Abraham was finishing the sentences for God because he thought he had it all figured out. And God said, no, that's not what I have a flat tire for you right now for. That's not what I have a dead battery for you for. I've got it something completely different. I should have realized God was letting me learn this lesson so I could be a real-time example to you this morning. And the irony is, I didn't the same message I was going to preach to you. Simply put, I just may not have enough information to know why my plans are getting changed all the time. And neither do you. You may not know what God is doing, but the lesson we learned from Abram and Sarah is that God definitely has a purpose for all he does. You might think you're going on a journey to bring home a box of gold doubloons, but God might have a whole new world for you to discover. That's why Romans 8.28 is so powerful. And we know, church, that for those who love God, you had your name changed? Your identity changed? You belong to God? Those who love God, how many things? All things. Flat tires, batteries, dead, rain, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. It worked for Abram and Sarai, And it works for us too.